Thanks for coming. Uh, just a quick announcement. First of all, there's going to be some really, really, really good programming over here on Shavuos. I'd like to invite everyone. Shavuos at Mayon is very special as we, um, in addition to being the day of the giving of the Torah, and we're a Torah center, but we're a Hasidic Torah center, and it's the yard site of the Holy Baal Shem Tov as well. So we have a lot of special events happening here over Shavuos. First of all, we're going to be having an all-night learning session over here with uh, really, really um, interesting classes. So um, come join us, beginning at about 11.30, 11.15, the first night of Shavuos, throughout the nights, refreshments, and all kinds of good stuff. So come and join us on Shavuos by night. And then um, the, in the morning, the first day, we're going to have a grand and special kiddush in honor of the Baal Shem Tov's yard site, which is on the first day of Shavuos. That's after the reading of the Torah at about, uh, after Musaf, so I would say about 12, 12.30. And we'll have insights on the Baal Shem Tov. It's going to be really special. Um, uh, then the second day of Yom Tov, that's Thursday afternoon. This is in a week from that. I'm a week from later in the week. Next week, Thursday afternoon, um, in the middle of the, um, around five-ish, we're going to have a uh, dessert uh, reception and a symposium on the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov on various, rab- various rabbis going to be presenting. It's been a beautiful event. So come, come with friends, um, and let's connect. Let's connect to holiness. Let's connect to the godly in this world. And uh, it's going to be very, very special. Okay, after that has been said, um, tonight's shir was sponsored by uh, Rabbi Ruvain and Mrs. Nathanson. This is in honor of three uh, special occasions. They had a grandson, Mazel Tov, and his bris was just 22nd of year, and his name is David Yisrael Ber. May you have a lot of nachas and raise him in good health, and your children should raise him in good health, and you should have a lot of nachas. You and her husband from him uh, for, 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 and uh, uh, also Elias Neshama for Ruvain's father. His yard site is also the 22nd. Yitzchak ben Yaakov Shmuel. May Hashem have a great aliyah. Uh, Mrs. Nathanson's father is the fourth of Siva Mordechai ben Shlomo. May they both have the greatest aliyah. May they channel lots of blessing to you and to your family. Another dedication today was by Melach Weiss. This is in honor of his wife, Hannah, in honor of their anniversary, which is on the 28th of Ir. May Hashem bench you and Hannah together with many, many happy, healthy years together uh, for all of eternity. That's the blessings we give today. Uh, as we are entering a new age of eternal life, Be'ezrat Hashem. So only happiness and nachas from the entire family. Parnasa Barchavan, only, only great things. Thanks for that dedication. Another dedication was by Rabbi Moshe Weiss and Ruti Weiss, and this is in honor of uh, Rabberol Weiss's yard site. 
uh, Beryl Weiss, the pillar foundation of tzedakah and kindness in this community, whose yard site is further on this week, I think on the 27th of year, may his neshama have the greatest, greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may he channel uh, Rebbe Yisachar, Doiv Ber, Ben Rebbe Yoyna, may his neshama be elevated to the greatest of heights, May he channel lots of bracha to you and to your mishpacha for only good. This was a dedication for the CD this week. Thanks so much. Another CD sponsor we had this week was by Baruch Bloom. And this is um, in honor of Baruch Fischl ben Chanoch Bloom in gratitude to Kaddish Baruch Hu for the continued recovery of Emma Morasi Chana, Rivka, Bas Michla, and Yisrael Chanoch, who from, she had the recovery from a stroke on the 10th of Nisan, after she reached the age of 102, she should live on forever. And she'd only be good and healthy and go strong and strong and strong. Rafur Shalem and a complete recovery amongst all the ill of Israel. That was another CD sponsor this week. Thank you. And last but not least, we have another share sponsor. This was by Rivka Rothschild in honor of a new baby, Matana Bas Rachel, born on 8th of Ear. Rivka Shulman, that is. Used to be Rivka Rothschild. And other birthdays in her family, her birthday on the 14th of year, her son Aaron Leib's birthday on the 16th of year, Menachem Mendel's birthday on the 18th of year, Shnei Zalman on the 5th of, of Sivan, and Bracha Bas Rivka Sarah on the 26th of year, and Elias Neshama for Shaina Etkin, Etka Bas Yosef Leib. So may all those who had a birthday have a Shnaz Bracha Natzlach, a wonderful good year with only Mazel Bracha and only wonderful things. And uh, for, your, for the one, uh, for the, uh, for Aliyah, for Shaina Etka, Elias Neshama to the greatest of heights. And lots of mazel and bracha and only, only good things. Thank you. Wow. That was a whole lot. All right. That was half the shir. I don't have to say anything. This week's parsha, I'll tell you what it is. This week's parsha is parsha's Bamidbar. And Bamidbar, the Torah, the, the parsha are the names of the Jewish people. So that's why, that, that's, that's the Torah of this week. This week's Torah begins with the counting of the Jews and it lists us names of the very, so, so the names of the Jewish people, that is the Torah. So we've already given the class on the parsha. Now let's see what else we have this week in the parsha and special. See, this Shabbos is very special because this Shabbos is the week that leads us into Shavuos, which Shavuos, as we know, the giving of the Torah. So we have to say that this Shabbos is our main, and we know that the power of, last week I had mentioned that the power of, a, of any given day, the day is elevated in the Shabbos that comes after it. And we spoke about the connection of Bahar Bechu Kaisai to Reb Shimon Bayochai, because um, it's the elevation of the previous week. But Shabbos also serves as the empowerment for that week ahead. So this Shabbos is the week before Shavuos, must mean that in Pashas Bamidbar, we have all the downloading, all the light and all the empowerment that we need is downloaded on Shabbos into our souls so that we can then utilize those powers and those strengths to be able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in the week, especially as great as an accomplishment as receiving the Torah. So what can we find in this Shabbos that will give us insight, understanding, and direction, and orient us all towards Sinai, towards the giving of the Torah? So I'd like to talk about two things which are connected and related. One of them is in the end of the parasha. The, the Torah talks about the, um, the moving of the Mishkan. And when they moved whenever they moved the tabernacle from place to place, how the Levites, the Levim, were in charge of putting up the Mishkan, taking down the Mishkan. And in that process, um, the Levim, when they took down the Mishkan, they had to cover each of the kalim of the Mishkan, each of the utensils, of the holy utensils of the Mishkan, like the holy ark, the menorah, the table of the showbread, the shulchan, and all that. And they had to cover it with a special covering. And these were like uh, special moving, moving um, uh, wear, moving garments in which they dressed and they covered up all the kalim. And obviously it was more than just it shouldn't get banged up. Because if it would just be just it shouldn't get banged up, like a moving company comes in and throws a couple of rags. Over here the Torah is very meticulous. In each one of the kalim, what exactly is going to be used to cover that kalim? Each one has different coverings, different materials. For instance, the Aron, the Torah says, had to be covered up with three coverings. And the Torah warns that the Levite shouldn't do this. 
this is because you couldn't. They, the Levites were not allowed to go into the holy of holies to do this. So only Aaron and his sons, when they had to move, there was also special permission granted because you're not allowed to go in ordinarily only on Yom Kippur. But when the time came to move and to travel, so the high priest went in with his two sons, and they covered the Aaron. How did they cover it? First, they took the parochas, which was the partition that separated between the holy and the holy of holies. They took down that curtain and they used that curtain as a cover. That was the first cover that went on the holy ark, on the ark of the covenant. After they that, did that, they had another garment, uh, which was a like a, a special sack that was made to fit the aron, and it was made out of bluel. It was made out of techeles. And then finally, after that, they put a third cover. And the Torah says it's called a michseh, and that was made out of a hide of an animal. It was like a leather, like a leather pouch. And that was called oir tachash. And the, the skin of a, a tachash, was a, people translate it as a unicorn. It was an, but Rashi tells us it was an animal, it was beautiful colors, and it's extinct today. It only existed during that time. And they used the, the, um, the hide of this animal, it's a very beautiful animal, for various different things. And one of them was the sack, the final cover that covered the Aron. So we need to understand the significance of this. Why does the Aron need three coverings for its travels? Now we can understand the first covering we can understand uh, we, we're, you know, the Aaron, you're not just going to put anything on it. You have to put something holy on it. The holiness of the Aaron, I mean, that's the Ark of the Covenant. God dwells inside of it. So therefore, we're going to put something extremely holy. So the paroches is part of the actual Mishkan. It's part of the tabernacle. It has tremendous holiness to it, that, 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 uh, that, that uh, partition, the machitza that separates. So that's the first partition between anything and the, and the parochas. But why do you need another two? What is, this, what is the idea? Okay, so I understand one more cover, because that's not really a cover. You realize it's meant to be a curtain. It's not meant to be a, a, uh, a, a box or a container. So then they have the second one. The second one, the, the cover of Techeles, was actually made to be... Um, as a, as a, it's suited. It was made to the shape of the Aron, and it was made to fit exactly as, but then after that, they had this rough material that went on the outside. I mean, technically, just logically, you can say it's in order that it should, shouldn't get banged up, so you needed some more cushioning, so that's why you put uh, this extra or, or tahash, but obviously, things relating to the Mishkan, and especially to the Ark of the Covenant, to the Aron HaKodesh, there has to be much deeper meaning in these three coverings. Okay? So that's one thing we'd like to discuss. Secondly, before we get to that, which we're going to come back to that in the end of the class, let's go to something else that we do on Shabbos. We know that it is the custom during the time, the weeks of, um, between Pesach and Shuas, the time of the counting of the Omer, which we're in the midst of doing now, um, there is a custom that, it's an ancient custom, that Shabbos we study ethics of the fathers. Because there are six Shabbosim, there are six weeks between Pesach and Shuas. And during those six Shabbosim, every Shabbos we learn another chapter of Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avos. And there are six chapters in Pirkei Avos, so it's perfect. And we conclude the sixth, this week is going to be the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avos that we're going to study. So in general we know that the reason why we study Pirkei Avos before, um, various different reasons are given, but one of the reasons is given is that this helps us prepare for the giving of the Torah. Why? Because uh, the giving of the Torah is not just, okay, we receive the Torah. We have to, it, it requires a certain refinement. A person has to be a more elevated human being, a refined, the, the, the sages tell us, the being a, 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 a mensch and being a refined human being is a, prerequisite for the person to be able to receive the Torah. And we know that Pirkei Yavis teaches us midos tovos. It teaches us uh, fine character traits. It teaches us how to behave in our daily life. It's mainly, it's, it's called ethics of the fathers. It's teachings of ethics and, and refinement of character. So these are things that we want to study 
before we receive the Torah. And also we have to know once we receive the Torah, then we are expected to live on a, on a, on a higher plane. We can't just be coarse, peasanty people and we're the ones carrying the torch in the world, the torch of the Torah. So the Pirkei Yavas gives us the guidance of exactly how it needs to behave. If that is the case in regards to Pirkei Yavas, we can also understand there is a particular connection to the last chapter of Pirkei Avos, which is the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avos. Now, six, the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avos is different than all the other chapters of Pirkei Avos in that all of them are Mishnah, and this chapter of Pirkei Avos is Brisa. Now, let me just explain what's the difference between Mishnah and Brisa. Mishnah are the 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 great Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda Nasi who was, lived about probably a hundred years or so after the destruction of, maybe more, like uh, close to 200 years, after the destruction of the Holy Temple, he realized that the exile, as Maimonides explains to us, he realized that the exile uh, was becoming extremely, extremely, bearing down on the Jewish people. It was becoming extremely tough. And that the Jewish people are being scattered farther and farther and farther away from one central place. And the persecutions and the hardships of the exile is not allowing the people to vote to devote themselves to Torah study like they were able to do in the past when they lived in the land of Israel. So what he did was he was the first one to record the teachings of the Torah into a book. And you can say he codified. He codified what we call all of the oral law, Torah Shabbat Peh, in the Mishnah. And he gathered together all the teachings and all the, from all the various sages. He had this big yeshiva and over there he collected traditions from the various different rabbis. This one had tradition from his teacher so, so and so. And this one had so and so. And the Mishnah, that's what the Mishnah is all about. That's the foundation of the Talmud in which it lays out basically the entire law of Moses, the entire Torah, giving us also the various different opinions and arguments that there are. And of course, giving us the method of how to actually decide when there's an argument, what the halacha is and the like. So that is the mission. Now, at the very same time that he had his yeshiva, there were other schools and other yeshivot and other um, places, academies of Torah study, and not everybody came to him. So many of these other scholars were also writing. Once he, once he wrote the Mishnah, others were writing as well. So all the writings that did not make it into his, in, in, into his academy and therefore was not organized by Rabbeinu HaKadosh, by Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. So these writings sort of remained outside of the purest, of the filtered version of, of this accumulation that Rabbi Yehuda Anasi accumulated. So anything that did not make it through that filter, but yet was written down by great sages with various different traditions and the like, all that was compiled, and that's called Brisa. Brisa means it's the outside book. So there is the inside book, and then it's almost like there is the edited version, and then there is the unedited version. So that's actually, it's longer, and there's much more in the unedited version. So the Mishnah has a certain, a certain potency, a certain reliability more than the Brisa. That's why we treat the Mishnah as holier, as closer to the, to the source than Brisa. But Brisa, of course, the Talmud is, takes the Brisa very seriously. We can't dismiss a Brisa. However, it does not have the same clout that the Mishnah has. Okay, that's the idea. Brisa means outside. Now, Ethics of the Fathers has five chapters. The fifth chapter is not from Mishnah. The fifth chapter is a chapter of Ethics that never went in, that didn't make it into Mishnah, but the Brisa had another chapter. So the sages went and took that chapter and linked it up to Pirkei Avos, and now Pirkei Avos has six chapters. Now the simple reason why they did it was because we were stuck. We have six Shabbosim between Pesach and Shavuos. So we want to learn six chapters. But when we finish the fifth chapter, we're done. So in order to give us something to learn on the sixth week, they linked up the brysa and attached it, and now we have something to study for the six weeks. Problem, however, is that the Torah, I mean, you can say that. It's just because we need something to learn. 
So therefore we learn the sixth chapter and the like. However, as the Mephorshim say, Medrash Shmuel, and explains, no, 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 no. There is a particular reason why we want to learn that b'raisa on the Shabbos before Shavuos, this chapter of Pirkei Yavuz, because what this b'raisa of ethics of fathers, which this last chapter of ethics of fathers discusses, is the greatness of Torah study. It is Mishnah after Mishnah after Mishnah discuss the great virtue of one who studies Torah, the high levels that a person can reach, and, 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 and etc. So there's very, very, very deep and inspirational teachings about the greatness of the Torah. And now we can understand that as a preparation for the giving of the Torah, you want to excite people. You want people to be hungry. You want people to be waiting for shvuas. You want to, you want to, you want to create a, 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 a longing, an interest. So therefore we study that parak talking about the greatness of the Torah. So we're anticipating the giving of the Torah so we can make a much stronger commitment to Torah study on Shavuos, which that's what we're supposed to do on Shavuos, because we've already gotten excited by reading the sixth chapter. And that's the reason why it's called Kinyan HaTorah. That's what Medrash Shmuel says. Again, this is an early commentator on Mishnah. And he explains again, because it's the last week before Matan Torah, and so we really, really want to excite the people, so we dafka learn this parak, and which speaks about Kenyan Torah, to excite people, they should, they should really await for the great time for the, for the giving of the Torah. That's a good explanation. However, the question I'm asking tonight is, can we really dig deeper and come up with an understanding and a reason why it's precisely the week before Shavuos that we study something that's not Mishnah, but it's Brisa. As I mentioned earlier, Brisa is inferior to Mishnah. Again, in general, we treat it with the same respect like Mishnah. But just like we understand that our edited version of something has a stronger, is, is, has more reliability and more... Is, is, has more of a, a power than an unedited version. So the Brisa, being that it did not go through that school of Rebbe, those scrutinizing eyes of, of what we call Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, so it's, it's of a lesser, uh, uh, we say holiness or, 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 or reliance like the, than, 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 than the Mishnah. If that's the case, the question is, why would we learn a Brisa before before Shavuos and not Mishnah. Is there a reason for it? I mean, one can say, as we said earlier, it's only a technical thing. But just like we asked when we were learning, when, I, when, I, when we spoke about the coverings of the Aron, and we can also give technical explanations. But we understand how Torah is accurate. We can understand that if this is the Shabbos right before Shavuos, and this is what we're going to be busying ourselves on this Shabbos by learning this chapter, all the Jewish people throughout all the generations it must be that there is a deep reason. It's not just uh, uh, random that this is what we study and this is what we learn. And the idea is really, really, really profound. And it's a very, very, very important idea. And it's the same idea that, that can be found in the, in the second subject of tonight as in the first subject, as I mentioned earlier in the Chumash. And the idea is like this. When, we, when we're thinking and when we're, when, we're, when we're approaching the giving of the Torah, one needs to um, appreciate what is the giving of the Torah? What happened by the giving of the Torah? What is the novelty of the giving of the Torah? So the beauty of the Torah is twofold. On the one hand, what is, what is, so, what is so fantastic, what is so unbelievable in the Torah, number one, is the Torah is God's wisdom. Torah is Hashem's knowledge. This is the mind of God. This is God's mind. And this is God's desire. Hashem's will is the mitzvot. Hashem's rationale, Hashem's logic, Hashem's thinking patterns. That's the Torah. So the Torah is the divine mind. Now who can, who can then, who can evaluate its greatness? God is infinite. If God is infinite, then His wisdom is infinite. Then His desire is infinite. And as Maimonides tells us, that 
just like that by God, He and His wisdom are totally one. So if there cannot be any, if, we, if there is no thought that can wrap, being that God is infinite, if there is no thought that can wrap itself around God, so there is no thought that can fathom God's wisdom and God's will. So that means that the Torah in its core, in its essence, is completely hidden, hidden, hidden. Hidden from the most sublime beings, from the greatest minds, from the deepest philosophers and greatest thinkers. They can't even begin to touch, to reach, to even, even touch the very, very tail end of the Torah. Because the Torah is it's divine, it's godly. So it's higher than all worlds, it's perfect, and it's infinitely beyond. That's on the one hand, that's why the angels in heaven were so upset that the Torah wasn't given to them. The angels in heaven were longing and begging and crying, give us the Torah because they wanted it so much because they appreciated, imagine, imagine be able, being able to probe God's mind. They understood it's impossible, but when they saw that God wants to give that to human beings, they, they said, why not us? Right? Famous, the famous argument between Moshe and the angels. Okay. That's one hand. On the other hand, the phenomenal element of the Torah is that the Torah descended down into the world. God gave the Torah. Matan Torah. What's Shavuos? Shavuos is a time of Matan Torah. Matan Torah means that God gives the Torah to the world. If God gives the Torah to the world, what does that mean? He's giving it into our minds. We should be able to study it. What does that mean? That the Torah took a journey. The Torah took an endless journey. It descended level after level after level after level. And in the process of its descent, from being completely transcendent above all worlds, it took a quantum leap, and it made itself understandable, perceivable, in the higher realms, in the supernal realms, but not only that, the Torah started to descend even further and 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 further down, 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 until the Torah came down into human intelligence. We can study Torah, we can understand the Torah, we can connect to the Torah. And here is something very deep. Not only did God give the Torah, which is the idea of, see on Shavuos, we're not only celebrating Matan Torah. Matan Torah means God's giving the Torah. Okay. God is God. And because God is God, He has no limitations. He's like this unbelievable teacher who can take these very, very untouchable, unknowable, un, 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 uncomprehensible ideas, and yet deliver it into tiny little human minds. I understand that. We don't understand that, but that's a miracle. We can understand that God can do that. But Shavuos is not just a day of a Matan Torah, say, no? It's also a day referred to as Kabbalah Satorah. Kabbalah Satorah means we received it. Receiving the Torah means that we've actually taken it into our, into our human reasoning. It's not just God putting it into our heads. Yes, that's true. Every day we say, Every day God gives it to us. But He gives it to us in a manner in which we can take it. We can receive it. That means it becomes ours. So, and it's accessible. Everybody can study Torah. Everybody, everybody can study. There's no limitations. It doesn't have any say, say who can and who can't. Every person can study. And every level. There are those who are going to be in the Arizal's club who are going to be studying these abstract secrets, sublime secrets that, you know, that is just, well, only for the highest sublime tzaddikim with the most powerful sensitive souls are going to study. Rip Shimon Bar Yochai and his friends, the Arizal, the Balshemtov and his students. So who knows that Torah? Or the great, great geniuses, the great geniuses throughout the sages, Talmudic geniuses, the giants, the Rishonim, the Achronim, Rebbe Kiva Eva, the Chassam Sofer, the Ragged Shover. I mean, minds, brilliant minds, who are able to conceive and understand the plummet, the depth of Halacha, the depth of the Talmud. Yes, 
But then there are the people who can come and study. How many Torah classes are happening tonight in the world, across the world? For everybody. Men, women, children go to Cheder and they learn. And, the, and what's equal by everybody is everybody is apprehending, comprehending Torah. It's coming to each person in accordance to their understanding. And the Torah that they are apprehending or understanding or receiving and taking in is the same Torah. It's just, it's just various different dimensions of Torah that are being revealed. But the essence of it is the same. It's God's wisdom entering the human mind. Not only God's wisdom entering the human mind, God's wisdom being absorbed in the human mind. Until one can receive these ideas and attach themselves so deeply to the ideas that, 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 that the ideas becomes their natural thought process. These ideas make up their mind. Anybody who spends a couple of years in yeshiva gets a Gemara cup. You start thinking in Gemara terms. It shapes, it molds. Now, I'm not saying that everything they're thinking is Torah. What I'm saying is that the, the Torah becomes so much the essence of their mind, of their worldview, of their mindset, of how to see and understand things. That means that they're, they as humans have merged completely with the Torah. And what's the Torah? The God's mind. Here you have the complete convergence of God and human. That is something that we should set off fireworks right now. That is crazy. That is utterly insane. The tiny little creations living at the very, very, very end, at the very, very, very end of time, of, of space, somewhere in the little hick town called planet Earth, tiny little people made out of meat and bones with a little brain inside their head should be able to merge their brain, their understanding, and take in God's mind. And their mind and God's mind are now aligned and synchronized and unified with each other. Insane. Crazy. But it goes deeper than that. It's not only the brain. Because when you study Torah, you take the Torah, not only in this sophisticated processing of, of deep, um, the, 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 the conception of ideas. It's not, it doesn't stay over here in the cerebral world of ideas. Torah descends, first of all, it, it makes its way into the thought, your thinking. And from thought it goes into speech. You can speak Torah. That means you can speak the divine. Not only do you speak the divine, you can act the divine. Because later Torah translates into actions and into activities. And when a person lives his life ruled, governed, and dictated by the Torah, his very limbs, his or her very physical limbs, because as long as you're dealing with Torah study, you can say it's, after all, we say you're a tiny little human being, a little peepsqueak, living over here in a, in, a, in a tiny, small, little speck of time and space. Today we're here, tomorrow we're gone. I mean, what is a human already? We say it on Rosh Hashanah davening. We say already, well, what, is, what is a human being already? Adam, you sold them a offer, a soyfully offer. Nothing. Okay, but the neshama is chai v'kayom. The neshama is all eternity, forever. Great. That's true. So that's why we can say the neshama can make this connection. Because after all, the neshama is a spark of God. And that's why our neshama can connect. That's true. But the Torah doesn't stop in our soul. The Torah penetrates the body. And the Torah penetrates into all the facets of one's body. And Torah can come down. This, this very unknowable, untouchable, unreachable, unfathomable, un, uncontainable, infinite essence or light of Hashem Himself can come down so far and become your, become your mind, become the power and the, and, the, and the content of all of one's thoughts, speech, and actions. Because when I'm doing a mitzvah, 
I am taking the precepts of Torah into action, into activity, so that physical action is now one with the infinite, with God, and even more than that. Because ultimately we know that the Torah guides us even when we're not doing mitzvahs, and even because there is a commandment in Torah to know God in all your ways. That means all the physical activities that we do all the time. Forget about, I am now stepping out of my ordinary, physical, human, temporary activities and actions, and I'm now stopping, I'm going to wash my hands, I'm going to Dava Mincha. I'm going to stop my regular life, I'm going to roll up my sleeve, and I'm going to do a godly act I'm going to put on to fill it. Right? Okay, so at least I'm doing, I'm stepping out of my ordinary life to have a meeting with God. That's, that too is awesome. But God is not happy with that. God says, I want me, my life, my truth to fill you at every moment of your existence. So there is a commandment to Shulchan Aruch, know God all your life in everything that you do. In your eating, in your sleeping, in your shopping, in your every activity that we do. That means that the Torah descends into all aspects, into all tiny, not only in this major road, but it goes off the exit and it starts going into these little tiny streets. It goes into the alleyways and then it goes through into the little tiny cracks it, and it makes its way into, the, into every crevice of our life. But here's even deeper than that. As a result of our observance of Torah and mitzvahs, and we observe the Torah and mitzvahs in the world, what are we doing? We're taking the physical world that we have and we're infusing this godly Torah, which is one with God, into the physical aspects of life, into the tiniest little details. And here is the beauty. Here is the beauty. When the Torah makes its way into that tiny little insignificant moment in which you're, I don't know, you're, you're, you're eating lunch. So what is that? Lunch is happening right now in an individual human being's dinette. Okay, kitchen. You just, I don't know what, you just put peanut butter on crackers. And you're sitting down to eat lunch. That's all you're doing. Peanut butter and crackers are happening in someone's private life. But this is a person who's infused with the Torah. And is trying to maintain and live his, his or her life in accordance to the dictates of God. Wakes up in the morning, says his, his or her brachas, davens, learns Torah, and is inspired by the idea that Torah should guide me in every aspect. So I make sure that the crackers are kosher and the peanut butter is kosher and that I make the right bracha and that I'm a little mindful when I eat that cracker. So what's happening right now? So what's happening? Let's see that. Let's just picture that in your mind. Someone crunching peanut butter and crackers in, in, in 2017 on 336 Vista Street. I'm sorry, I don't know who lives there. Whoever that is, you should be benched. At three o'clock in the afternoon. Now let's now let's trace that and see what's really happening. You know that moment at Sinai when the heavens opened up and all four directions we heard God's voice thundering, and it was revealed that there's nobody but God. And and, and everybody can see that that's the display. That's when Torah was given. That's when we got to see the Torah in its purest transcendental state. That's when the world didn't block and everything became transparent and God's light flooded the universe. And all that's the Torah. That's Anochi. That is, I am God, you're God. That's the Torah, that moment. And guess what happens? That powerful, infinite, and boundless energy and truth has now contracted compressed itself, descended into that home, eating that peanut butter and crackers in Behold in that little crack, in that crack of life. At that moment, there is one connection. Moshe kibel Torah Sinai. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. The achtos, the truth of God, revealing itself down here. And that's the purpose of the Torah. From that spectacular revelation, where the whole world stopped, 
All animals stopped. The birds stopped chirping. The ocean stopped roaring. Everything came to a standstill because God said, I am. That all of that I am, all of that, through each and every one of us, is channeling, coming down, descending, through the little details and details and details. Our great, 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 great grandparents brought that anoichi, that truth, into the Middle Ages, brought it in the 1400s in Spain and Poland. We are bringing that very MS and that very truth into Los Angeles and into everyday life. We're all agents of that oneness and of that truth. In what? What did I do already? I ate a cracker and peanut butter. Yes, but you ate it as a Jew. And you ate it with that inspiration coming from the Torah. All of the Torah is in every little precept of Torah. That's the idea. And here's the thing, it doesn't lose any of its potency. As it is above, that's how it descends. That's the novelty. And of course, I hope you can use, use your imagination and take the peanut butter and cracker into all other aspects of life. All aspects. We're driving godly anoichi. I am God, your God. We are driving it into every nook and cranny, into every little tiny, tiny speck of time and space. We deliver that MS, that Anoichi Hashem Alokecha. That's the awesomeness. That's the giving of the Torah. So now we'll understand something magnificent about why the Shabbos before Matan Torah we're inspired by learning a b'risa. We're not learning a Mishnah. We're learning a b'risa. But let's go back to the beginning of Pirkei Yavis. You see, Pirkei Yavis talks about the Torah's tradition. How the Torah, the, what we call the Mesorah. How the Torah is passed on from generation to generation. So we begin, where is the Torah's origins? We begin at that fiery moment. At that moment of transcendence. At that moment where God's truth is so strong that three million or two million people's souls are escaping their bodies and melting into God's truth. Moshe standing in that highest moment, highest transcendental moment, the most transcendental human being receiving the Torah from the infinite. But what does it say in Perkei further? He receives the Torah and he gives it over to Joshua. Yeshua goes and gives it over to the Zikanim. The Zikanim go and handed it over to the prophets, to the Nevi'im. The Zikanim are the elders. They give it over to the prophets. The Nevi'im give it over to the Anshe Knesset Sagdola. And then it, go, then it begins, the Mishnah tells us how the various different rabbis, each one passes it on for generation after generation. And here's an interesting thing. The Mishnah tells us how in that process of passing the Torah on, the generations are becoming weaker the people are becoming smaller. You have it right at the beginning already in the first mission of Pirkei Yavis, you can see already the lessening of spiritual capacity, the, the, the darkness of the world getting more intense. Because the sages tell us right at the beginning, what's the first, one of the first lessons? Vasusi yag Torah, make fences for the Torah. And is it, why do we have to make fences, guardrails? Because in the early days they didn't have all these Precautions. Later, the rabbis added lots of precautions. The reason they added lots of precautions is because in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, people were so sensitive to a mitzvah. It was impossible to someone to violate Shabbos. So you can allow a person to walk all the way, all the way, all the way to the end, end, end of the... to the end, end, end to the cliff. All the way to the very end of... Of violating Shabbos, and you don't have to put muktzah. You don't have to put various different things in front of him. Why him or her? Because they're so sensitive. No one is going to walk down the cliff. Because Shabbos was literally felt in the Jewish souls, just like we understood that walking off a cliff means death. A person understood that violating the Shabbos is death. So no one would go there. But as the generations passed and people became less and less sensitive, so the sages were saying, if you let everybody walk all the way over to the cliff. Some people might just stick their heads over and might fall down. So therefore, you got to put a guardrail. And as generations went, they put more and more guardrails. And they backed us up more and more and more. That's showing us 
how the generations are becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. But guess what? What does the Mishnah teach us? In Moshe, Kibbal, Torah, Messina, what does the Mishnah teach you? It's the same Torah. The same Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu was received at Sinai. Misarua, he gives it over to Yeshua. Now Yeshua is spectacular, but he's not Moshe. Moshe's face, the sages say, was like the face of the sun. Yeshua's face is like the face of the moon. So Yeshua can hardly compare, the moon can hardly compare to the sun, much less. And then you get from Yeshua to the Zikanim and Zikanim, weaker and weaker, our spiritual capacity, our, our, who we are, much less. Yet, Misaruha, the same Torah. The same Torah is making its way down, 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 down. And it's not in any way. The Torah is not decreasing. Our spiritual capacity, our feelings, our ability, that's decreasing, not the Torah. The Torah remains the same Torah that was on that day when God gave it to Moshe. When we conclude Pirkei Avos and we finish the Mishnah world, so we come a week before Shavuos, and what do we do? We want to include the Torah's path, passageway, not just to remain in the inner world of Mishnah, and we want to include Brisa. Brisa means outside. That's exactly what we're doing. We're saying Torah did not remain only in those purest generations that were Mishnah. Then we have the outside, that which is not in the inner, 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 inside. That which is not so insular and so protected and so pure. There are things that are a little bit more on the outside. But yet, it's the best (coughs) that those generations, so to speak, can, can do, can study, can learn. Guess what? In the Brisa too comes Torah. Comes the very same Torah as Moshe Kibbal Torah Messinai. Once we see that it doesn't have to remain only in Mishnah, but it also includes in Brisa, then from there it continues on, 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 as we said earlier. There is no limit. Because God's truth ultimately is going to be the truth of everything and everywhere and every time. What is the last, last words of Pirkei Avos? The last mamish words of this chapter, the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avos. So let me read it to you. What's the last words? The Mishnah says, over here, in the end of chapter Kinyan Torah, Perik Vav. Here we are. Kol Baruch Everything that God created. Loi bro'oi, He didn't create. Elo lechvodo, only for his honor. Who's everything? Who's everything? Everything is Labrea Boulevard, Beverly Boulevard, Fairfax, La Cienega. All the people that live in all the homes, in all the cars, all the people sitting in the cafes, all the birds, all the trees, everything, everybody, every person. It was all created lichvodo for his honor. And the sages tell us what is covered. Covered means the Torah. It was all refi- the Torah should be revealed in it, through it. Who reveals it? All of us. As we make our way every day to work, back from work. In the countless encounters that we have with hundreds of people. Again, if we're rooted, again, it's not automatically that it's holy. If we're rooted in holiness... If we're rooted in Torah study, and we can take that instructions and guidance from Torah into our every encounter, into our every moment, so then we can reveal that everything that God created, not only a desert where nothing is there in the year 2448 in a miraculous time of divine revelation, in that wilderness, in that, in that empty space with all the holy tzaddikim and all the holy souls of Israel receiving the divine truth. No, the divine truth makes its way down, 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 all the way, all the way, all the way down to the farthest corners of the earth. It makes its way into the brisa, into the outside. And all of that was created only for God's glory. That's the story of the giving of the Torah. And when we have this preparation and this understanding, we go to receive the Torah. That's also the story of the Chumash, the message in the end of Parshas Bamidbar. This is the Parsha we read. 
We have a holy ark, and the holy ark is in a holy place. No one can go in there. No one can touch it, only the high priest. So powerful, so holy. It's miraculous. As we spoke so many times about the Ur, and it doesn't take up any space. It's physical matter that has space, but yet transcends space. The whole thing is, is just incomprehensible. It's like, wow, it, it defies all the laws of physics. So we understand that. Good, that's the Aaron. But then it comes time for the Aaron to travel. What does that mean, the Aaron has to travel? This divine truth has to travel across the world. God's truth can not only be a truth that's in the desert, in the tabernacle, inside the inner, 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 surrounded by holy priests. That's, that's not the point. The point is that that truth, that MS, that truth should be the truth and reveal itself everywhere. Everywhere. In your brushing of your teeth. There too. Not a place where it shouldn't go. Ooh, for that to happen... You can't take the RNA as it is. We said earlier, how is God's powerful light going to reach everywhere in every space? Not through Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe had to pass it on to someone lesser than him, Yeshua. Yeshua had to pass it on to someone lesser than him. And so it was down. And guess what? It came down. We're the only ones who, because we're so tiny and so small, you know, I just thought the, the occurrence came to me right now. This just hit me right now in the shares. I thank God for this. But it's interesting, when you have to get into a very small place and put in a screw in a very small place, if you have a ginormous screwdriver, it doesn't work. You have to get a smaller one, a very small one, and only through the tiny little small one can you get into that little, little corner, little hole, and over there, tighten the screw or unscrew, whatever you have to do, whatever that tikkun is, you can only do it through a very small one, you can't do it through a big one. So the Torah, which is ginormous and great and awesome and infinite, has to go through Yeshua the Zikanim, and it keeps on getting smaller, smaller. God's toolbox, the, 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 the instruments where he, through which he screws in the, the, his unity and his oneness and his Torah, the, the screwdrivers keep on getting smaller and smaller so they can fit into the tiny crevices. So we're these tiny little souls at the very, very, very end of time. Through us, it can only travel down, down, down. So that's the journey of the Torah, of the Ark. So we have to dress the Torah. So there are three garments that we dress the Torah in. You can say the three garments are the three worlds. Bria, Yetzirah, Asiya, corresponding to that. Because the Torah really is atzilus, is purely divine. But there's also another thing. When, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted, when... when when the angels were complaining to God why he's giving the Torah to the Jewish people, Moshe, and, and God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, answer them. And Moshe tells the angels a couple of things that the angels don't have and why the humans, why the Jewish people deserve the Torah, not the angels. So Moshe Rabbeinu explains, for instance, number one, you're not physical. You're not physical people. Torah can only be given to a physical person. How do you see that? One of the precepts, one of the commandments of the Ten Commandments are honor your father and your mother. So you only have a father and a mother in the physical world. The angels don't have a father and a mother. So therefore you can't honor your father and your mother. That was one of the things he said to them. Then, that's a, then he says to them another thing. Another reason why they can't have the Torah is that they have no challenge to Torah observance. See, the first thing is they can't practically do the Torah because they, the, they don't have the material needed to do the Torah, to observe the Torah. The materials needed to observe the Torah is a physical body. They don't have a physical body. And I, it's not, I, 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 I'm not remembering right now, but there's one more thing besides the Kibbut of Aim. There's another thing that is pointing to, their, to our physicality, that the angels don't have that, and therefore... Okay. Another thing Moshe says to them, however, is you don't have a challenge to your observance. For you guys to do the Torahs without a chance, you don't have to be warned on certain things. For instance, you don't have a Sahara. So God says, do not commit adultery. And you don't have a Sahara. You have no evil inclination to commit adultery. You have no jealousy. You have no rage or anger 
that God has to command you that shall not murder anybody. You're lacking Yetzirah. You're lacking the challenge. That's the second thing Moshe says. And then Moshe adds a third thing. You're not in the right environment in which the Torah should be able to be kept. In what sense? You don't live amongst... God says, don't have another God besides me. You don't, do you live amongst the nations that worship other gods? You don't live amongst the nations. You're living in, you're all holy. You're not living amongst those who make the mistake and claim another God. Therefore, the Torah is not going to be given to you. So what is this? So we can really, really def- um, characterize these three things as follows. When our neshama comes down into this world, our neshama gets veiled with three veils. Veil number one, our soul gets veiled by an, a, a body. Physical. We have a physical body. That's number one. Number two, and that's a cover on the soul. Number two, we have an animalistic soul. Nefesh Bahamas. With a Yetzirah, with an evil inclination. Number three, God sends us into exile and we're living amongst nations, Gentiles. So that's a third veil, a third block, a third interference. And what's the difference between these three interferences? The body itself, even though it's a body, it's coarse, but the body is still holy. Because it's a Jewish body, and a Jewish body is holy. The body does not come from klipa, does not come from the impure. It's just that it's 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 coarse. So the body is coarse, not neshama. Fine. The animal soul that we have, the animal soul is already coming from klipa, coming from unholy, and that's why it can already incite. It can be enticement. It can be yitzhara. It can be evil inclination that can be already. However, even our Yetzirah is still a Jewish Yetzirah. As it says in Hasidut, in Zohar, it says that the Jewish tem- tem- temptation still has certain limitations. The Yetzirah will not get a person to deny God completely. We don't have an intrinsic Yetzirah to deny God completely, to believe, to have to be an atheist. That's not, a, that's, not, that's not within the Jewish Yitzhahara. It doesn't exist within us. But then there's the third challenge. What's the third veil? The third veil is when we're living amongst the nations. And when we live amongst the nations, even that becomes possible. Because when you're living amongst people that, that, will, that will deny God, or possible not that they will deny God, that can rub off on a Jewish man or a woman, also to have a complete denial in the existence of God. Three stages of concealment and blockages, one after another. These three blockages are exactly the Aron, which is compared to the Neshama or the Torah, telling us that in order for the Torah to impact the world, why does God do that? Why does God have to put our Neshama down into a body? Not only into a body, but into an, with an animal soul. And not only with an animal soul, but also amongst Gentile nations that will have an influence and, 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 and project ideas that are not, that are antithetical to Kedusha, to holiness. And sometimes even total denial of God. Why does God put the Jewish people... I was just by a wedding and I was in a conversation with someone. And the person was telling me how... In Russia, he's a Russian Jew, and he was telling me how 70 years of coming. He's talking to me about his father, and how his father like, couldn't get it that he's, that he's became observant and involved in Yiddishkeit. But he was explaining to me, do you know what it means? 70 years of pumping and pumping and education, the same way we have education in the United States to teach basic, uh, basic math. There was a complete indoctrination in it, that there is no God. Indoctrinated. So we're talking about the nations putting, pounding, pounding the Jewish soul 
with this denial of Hashem. Why does God do that? The answer is, I said earlier, for the Torah to travel, for the Torah to reach every single possible place, and over there the Torah should prevail. So let's ask, you a, let's ask a simple question. What happened in the, in the previous Soviet Union? What happened in Russia? A place was created where it's impossible for someone to believe in God. That's what was created. It was a Jew in a body with a Yetzirah, surrounded by a, 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 with a powerful nation that for 70 years, for 70 years is indoctrinating children. There is no God. So my dear friends, there is no communism. But there is a very, very, very big presence of God in the previous Soviet Union. Go visit. Go from city to city, from community to community. Watch the hundreds of children that are screaming Shema Yisrael. Go look at pictures at the Lag Bomer parades. Reb Shimon Bayochai, Jewish mysticism. Where? In the streets of Kiev, in the streets of Moscow, in the streets, in all these very places where we're once. Why? Because the truth will prevail and will come blasting through. But the only way the truth can get to such an ungodly place is there has to be that, that klipa surrounding it, creating that ungodliness. And what happens to the Torah? The Torah is so much stronger. It's so much, if we can say, truer today than it was at Sinai. At Sinai, the Torah was an abstract idea. That's what the Torah was. At Sinai, the Torah was a magnificent abstract theory, so to speak. After the Torah traveled across the globe and met every challenge and prevailed, now the Torah is real. Real, real, and real. So the Torah goes through, gets, get, in order for it to travel, what does it need? Three veils. The parochas that goes on it is holy, because that represents the guf, the body of a Jew. The, the next uh, container that it has is a bag made out of blue wool, Rashi says that that bag is called a keli. It's a keli, it's a vessel. It's not holy, but it is a vessel. Because our animal soul, as we said earlier, is, even though it's a Yetzirah, but it's still a Yetzirah of a Jew. It's not holy, but it has some kind of a relationship to that which is being put inside of it. Finally, we get this hide of unicorn skin. Pasuk refers to this last and final sackcloth. Something that swallows the holy. That's how the Torah calls it. They shouldn't come see Kebala Esakodesh. When something is swallowing up holiness, the outer container, the outer bag, that outer thing, is so, it's made out of Physically, it was made out of a rougher material. So it, when you look at it, you don't see the shape of the Aaron. It's just a big bag. Spiritually, it represents the Gentile world that God put us into and sent us into exile through nation after nation in such a klippa, such a concealment that swallows holiness. This is really swallowing holiness. You can't even tell that there's anything holy inside. That's how big the challenge is. It has swallowed it completely. And yet what? The Torah travels through all these obstacles and through all these veils. And precisely in these obstacles and in these veils is where it shines and it will, it, will, it, will, it will truly shine in all of its glory and all of its light. And that's just something that we, that we all of us are, are, are... This is such an exciting idea that every single one of us, every single one of us is a conduit for that very same Torah and MS and truth. Notwithstanding, or not just notwithstanding, precisely because and including... 
all the resistance and all the all the shortcomings that we have and the resistance and the eight Sahara and all the precisely because of that that's why you're the conduit for Anoichi Hashem Alokecha for that very same Anoichi to be heard Wednesday afternoon in Pasadena Monday morning at LAX Tuesday whatever wherever you are you're the conduit Think about it that way. That moment of Sinai, that truth, that real, real MS and that truth that is going to be again revealed when Mashiach comes. But when Mashiach comes, by Har Sinai, the whole world was silent to receive God. When Mashiach comes, the entire world will sing God because the world doesn't have to be silent to express God to be silenced, to surrender to God. Everything and every aspect and all of existence in being who they are and what they are will reveal the singular unity through all of its multiplicity. And every aspect of the world will bring forth another nuance of that singular oneness and of that essential truth of Hashem Echad. Through each and every one of us. Everything that God created, He only created for His honor. That's going to be when Mashiach comes. And till that time, each and every one of us are in those channels in which through this light and MS and truth shines. With this knowledge and with this understanding, who cannot be excited to receive the Torah again, to reconnect again, to be charged again? with that mission, with that light, which through each and every one of us, we will soon celebrate the victory of light over darkness, of truth over fullness, falseness, and the whole world will, will sing and dance in everlasting joy and oneness with its creator. Oh, yeah.